0: All right, Sam, welcome back to Front Porch Report. I'm excited to get started again, because we are doing a new format today. We are doing an interview. Are you ready for this?
1: I am ready for this to start season three. We are doing an interview. That's, that's something we haven't done before.
0: Yep, I think I've been considering calling this little series Exvangelical Ambassadors. I don't know, that might be kind of lame, but we'll we'll workshop that a little bit more. But today, I am excited to introduce you to a good friend of my wife and I, Yadidia Daniel Abebe, who was my wife's maid of honor at her wedding. And who has a, a very interesting story that um, I've gotten to see a part of, and my wife has gotten to see a little bit more of, because they were roommates in college. But basically, Yudidia has gone through the process that has been popularly called deconstruction over the past couple of years. And Sam and I wanted to give her the opportunity to share her story because, as a an explicitly Christian podcast, we talk about we talk about the Bible, we talk about things from a Christian worldview, but we want to. Um, give the space and give the opportunity for people to hear with empathy the story of people who leave the church, who are a part of the church, and who um, ultimately go away for various reasons. So we'll get into some of the reasons that Yudidia had for leaving, but I want to just, yeah, give make this be a space. This isn't going to be an interrogation. This isn't going to be a debate. We're going to be a very a very friendly interview team to Juditia but as a listener if you hear things that you disagree with or that make you upset or angry or you know raise questions for you Let's hang on to that for a moment, and then we'll we'll continue the conversation. I'm sure over subsequent episodes, either with Sam and I, or even with you, Didi, again. But just wanted to, yeah, like I said, create this space so that we can start a conversation, start a dialogue, find the find the middle ground on this issue, just like we do with so many others. Anything you want to add, Sam?
1: Yeah, I would say the most important thing here is, you know, we want to cultivate a space where people can talk and, and share what they're thinking. Um, And one of the biggest things is um, we kind of have to admit where uh, we've messed up, you know? Uh, And when I say we, I mean the church, uh, because how else could we ever get better if we don't? And so talking about mistakes and things, uh, Timothy Keller, I think does an excellent job of this in in his book, Reasons for God. And he talks about historically where the church has messed up. And so, I think it's important to invite that space and, and talk about this in a mature and rational manner. Um, and so like Tess says, this is a, a place for respect. This is a place for a conversation. This isn't a gotcha moment. This isn't anything where we want to hit anybody over the head. And you know, we want to have good, respectful conversation. And, and we're trying to cultivate that environment.
0: And so without further ado, let's just jump right into it. Yadidia, could you tell us a little bit about your family, where you grew up, and uh, you know, just kind of where you come from?
2: Of course. I was born and raised in Addis Ababa, which is the capital city of Ethiopia. I came to the U.S. when I was about 18 years old. I'm a second child of a family with four kids, and I have two brothers and a sister. Um, currently, they live in Princeton, Texas. And we've all collectively been in the U.S. for about six years now. Education-wise, I've done undergrad here in the U.S. at Dallas Baptist University. I have a bachelor's in psychology with a minor in sociology and chemistry.
0: Sweet. So let's dive a little deeper into your time back in Ethiopia. What role would you say that a Christian faith or your Christian faith played in your childhood as you were you know, spending your first 18 years there?
2: So I guess as a background about my church history, my parents came to faith around the time where there was religious persecution. They had to have church services underground, although while I was growing up, there was freedom. Uh, There's more freedom to practice your faith of choice. We still had to work through ethnic disagreements within the church, be it language, religious practice and sharing spaces. I got to witness a lot of this firsthand because my father was a church elder at the time. And that being said, I grew up in a Lutheran church. I was baptized about at 40-something weeks old and attended Sunday school there. When I was about 12, we took a class called Denonet, which roughly translated to being saved. It was sort of an intro to being saved kind of class, which you had to take um, before you could participate in communion. After that, I had to take the same class again at a Baptist church before being baptized for the second time. I know, shocking. (laughs) But it was because my parents didn't think that the Lutheran church version of the class was sufficient. So they had me take the class again, along with my older brother, of course. And after that, still went to the Lutheran church. But with my father being in the elders committee, we couldn't talk about the fact that we did this school, this class in another church because it was against church politics, and there was like very formal procedure of things you can and cannot do, and that was one of them. Regardless, um, I still attended the Lutheran church, and I used to lead the youth services there, and up until I was about 18, um, I joined a non-denominational church at that point. Um, against my parents' wishes, not because of the denomination, but more so the fact that attending a separate church from them was something they didn't appreciate. But I felt like I belonged at that church, so that's where I went. Um, Other than that, I was raised in a very conservative Christian home. We had family prayer nights as often as we could, and my parents would have us host these prayer nights uh, every now and then. So overall, I grew up very determined about my faith and would stop at nothing to talk about it with friends and family.
0: Wow, that's a lot to take in, especially some of those, like, church politics things, which, you know, definitely exist here in America, too, to an extent, although I feel like the the culture of religious freedom can sometimes mask it a little bit. But you you talked a little bit about things that, you know, were caused by your parents or that, you know, your parents took you to the Lutheran church, I assume, and then took you to that Baptist church because they um, felt it wasn't adequate. Was Was there a time in those formative years where you really felt like your faith in Jesus was something that was really your own and not just foisted upon you by your family?
2: Yeah. So growing up, my faith was very personal to me. Of course, I followed the lifestyles and faith that my parents modeled to me at the time, but I considered God to be my only true friend. So I would talk to him a lot. I would try my best to get involved in, ch- in the church community. I even remember times where I tried to stay up with my parents for the all-night prayer services that they would have. And up until close to the end of 2020, I would attend all-night prayers with my friends and Bible studies and church services. Um, I also used to lead worship and teach Sunday school for kids of of almost all ages at a small, non-denominational Ethiopian church we had here in Plano, Texas, which I attended since 2016. So it was pretty personal to me, even though my parents were the ones who introduced me into the faith. It was sort of my own at that point.
1: So you've kind of hinted at what things were like growing up, and and a little bit about what it was like here in the States. And and so I want to talk about, is is there a moment or an event or something that happened, you know, as you're older, so here in the States, that kind of initiated the thought process of what is called deconstruction?
2: Um, I can't think of an exact moment per se, but I'd like to think that I've always had really tough questions. I would always notice something about scripture or about religious practice, and I would ask about it. And I guess up until two years ago, I was completely comfortable with not having an answer or having the answer from a biblical lens, which is where you get told that suffering is a mystery. We can't understand because uh, we can't see the universe from God's perspective. That's, I guess, what started it.
1: So so kind of walk us through the story of... How that process started for you and and where you were and, and identified, you know, when you first came to the States and where you are now.
2: Of course. When I first came to the States, I had this really strong, profound faith. And there is this understanding that a lot of uh, African countries have. But Ethiopians in particular think that whenever people go to the U.S. and they find comfort in that lifestyle, that they would stray away from God. So there was this understanding that you have to hold on to your faith so dearly and so so much so that like the world can't convince you to walk away. There was that understanding from people in my community. So coming to the U.S., I had that, I guess, profound desire to stay connected within the church and within God. But I remember in DBU... At DBU, I had an English professor who challenged our way of thinking, and it was through a Michael Jackson song, um, the song called Bad. She was explaining that as a society, we can mostly agree that the word bad had a negative connotation, but in the song, being bad is almost a good thing. It was a thing that was wanted, that was desired. And she went on to explain how context matters, but that sort of opened a can of worms for me because... After that, I had an understanding that we might not have the full context to a lot of scripture and how the context alone could influence a translation, an understanding, or even an interpretation. And I found that to be true when I compared some Bible verses in the Amharic Bible to the English Bible. After that, I had another English teacher who had us write paper about a challenging topic, and I wanted to write about female senior pastors. I received a lot of backlash from my classmates in a Baptist university, so it kind of makes sense. So, But she still encouraged me to write the paper, um, and in going through with that, I started recognizing patterns within the church and their reprimand when it comes to women in leadership. And they um, often use the verse in 1 Timothy that says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. But Here's why that notion specifically didn't sit right with me. One of the curses of the woman in the garden was that a man shall rule over her. Now, with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I would assume that that curse would be lifted, at least in churches or within the body of Christ. And even even if we, got, we go into the details of the verse in Timothy, it doesn't mean what most people think it means. When you study the scripture, it goes into the specific woman that they were talking about at the time, and that it doesn't apply to the majority or the general public. And I think this is why context matters. We don't have to go into more detail about about this, but it's still an issue for a majority of Christians, especially conservative Christians. And that was a big question for me. And those instances were palm-sized snowballs that later turned into the avalanche of questions that I now have, And although I was less comfortable in not knowing the answer at the time, I was still very strong in my faith, but recognized that the church might need some improvements. After that, it was everything that happened politically, culturally, and socially around May of 2020 when the civil rights movement was going on. I saw church leaders, people I considered a reliable person of faith, people I would go to for guidance suddenly have no empathy or regard for human life or real human experiences. It wasn't that the issue, be it human rights or the church's stance on race-related issues, was new. However, it shed a light on the thought process of a lot of people. I constantly saw preachings, posts, and pushbacks against the demand for justice. All of the sudden, help your neighbor turned into an us and them People used scripture and their position in churches to discredit and almost gaslight an entire race from a very personal experience. And the demand for justice that was happening in over 50 countries became a political debate. And I'm sure we all saw almost every day Black and brown people suffered at the hands of police and civilians with almost no repercussions. And that was very traumatizing. And the whole time I kept thinking, what if it was my brothers or my father, or my family, or my friends, or even me? And the fact that it could happen to any of us was also terrifying. And at the time we needed them the most, it felt like both God and the church had turned their back on us. And for either of them, it wasn't the first time. That is when I, f- I left the church completely and started to host or go to small group fellowships with some of my friends Still holding on to the drops of hope we had that somehow, some way, God would answer our prayers and intervene on behalf of the Black community and other affected communities. After all, he is omnipotent, which means he has the potential to do just that. And I remember thinking, maybe he just doesn't want to. After that, things just fell apart for me. Um, I could no longer ignore the questions, the systems within the church, and Christianity that promote or reinforce, be it sexism, misogyny, rape culture, racism, and homophobia. They were just too blatantly obvious. There were several people I had conversations with, Taz being one of them, but all of it was just too much for me personally, and the quest I had... Um, to prove not to others, but to myself, that my faith in God was true, that the Bible was an accurate depiction of him, and everything happened for a reason only God knows, ended up being the reason I walked away. Um, I remember praying and asking, even begging God to show me a way to show me if he was really the truth, and if he was actually listening to us, and nothing happened. So around the end of 2020, I decided to work on healing from e- everything. And that was the best thing I could have done for myself.
0: Thanks for sharing all of that, Yudidia. For for our listeners, one thing that I just hope that you observed and took from that is that all of these things are things that Yudidia has thought very deeply and carefully about, right? And so I don't, want any of you to listen to her story or to, to look at her or people who are going things similar to her and think, oh, well, they just haven't thought carefully. If they, if they listen to my favorite apologist give a three minute rant on TikTok, then they would be convinced because all of these things are very complicated and the church can do so much damage when we act as though things that are important and serious to individual people are not ultimately important and serious. And that can happen when men act like sex abuse scandals aren't that big of a deal or when white people act like racism isn't that big of a deal. And even if you have political disagreements or data disagreements about you know how prevalent is police abuse of black people etc cetera, et cetera, intra or interracial violence etc you know these are experiences that people are going through and just dismissing them or invalidating them is not going to get you what you want or what you say you want which is for there to be unity in our nation, within the body of believers, et cetera. And so, Yadidia, thank you for bringing up all of those topics, for, you know, just walking through what is, you know, I experienced with you as a, as a long process. Can you talk a little bit more about, like, what the emotional, spiritual, social experience you had was as you went through this? What was it like as you, you know, you're dealing with your own personal things, but what was it like? How did it affect your relationships and things like that?
2: Yeah, I would say it was overwhelming. Um, having to leave behind a belief system that you held so dearly for over 20 years, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. That doesn't negate the fact that I needed to do this for myself, but I acknowledge that it was hard. Um, I'm sure anyone going through deconstruction can attest to how hard it actually is, Um the people who saw you walk in faith with them start denying that you were ever really a Christian to begin with. They say you do this so you could live a life of sin, so some have even directly told me that I'm going to hell. Others have chosen the less direct approach and told me that they'll pray for me, but not in a sincere way, of course. I've lost a lot of friends and had a fallout with some family members, Um, My social circle grew smaller and most of the friends I made in church, I don't talk to anymore. So it was pretty hard socially um, having to navigate losing friends alongside losing a faith that you had um, to also lose friends that you sort of relied on and trusted was a very hard process. And overall, spirituality was a difficult topic to tackle because I believe that I've had experiences that I can't just explain away or deny but through the journey I've been on one of self-discovery and healing I was able to make peace with the past and honor it for what it was and acknowledge that it does it doesn't serve me anymore but there were true genuine experiences I've had within Christianity that can't just be explained away or uh, negated just because I'm currently deconstructing. I tend to honor those experiences for what they are. Um, But overall, the amount of peace I've gained from walking away has been something far beyond my imagination or what I've been taught to believe about Christians who walk away from faith. So yeah, even though it was hard, it's something I I wouldn't change for the world
0: yeah and just to you know center in on the what you were talking about losing friends because you even mentioned earlier in this interview that there was a time when you considered God to be your closest friend. And so in addition to losing that, you were also losing people because that you know that sense of insincerity I can only imagine must be terrible when people who say that they love you for you or care about you all of a sudden are you know intentionally or not cutting you off just because of the, you know, it's really a struggle for yourself. You're not doing anything malicious. You're dealing with, you know, this as a, as a true and genuine struggle for trying to figure out what you believe in. So thanks for telling us about that. These next couple of questions I'm going to ask, not necessarily based on things that you've mentioned already, but just because I know you and I know some of the things. Can you talk a little bit about the role that spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma um, has played in your story?
2: Yeah. So growing up, a spirituality was used as a weapon um, in both my family and my friends, my church, i meant my church. There was a big expectation of how you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to act, and even the level of spirituality that was celebrated or condemned based on the denomination that you attend. It almost fueled a performance-based spiritual experience. And I can also point to experiences that might be insignificant, but on the grand scale of things definitely contributed to the religious trauma. I remember when I was in third grade, I had one friend who would bring pamphlets that have illustrations about the gospel, and we would go around our school trying to preach the gospel to our peers. Obviously, third graders are not going to be receptive of that message, so some of them would just rip the pamphlet in front of us, and my friend would get furious and tell them, because you've ripped that, you're going to experience the wrath of God. And of course they laughed at us, but a few weeks later, that friend of mine stopped coming to school because she was temporarily paralyzed from the neck down. And of course, all of my peers and parents chalked it down to, that's what happens when you use the Lord's name in vain. That friend is fully mobile now, and I think I've seen her once or twice before I came to the US, but the idea was deeply ingrained within my brain. And I remember um, for years feeling like I could be paralyzed at a moment's notice if I used the Lord's name in vain. Looking back at it, it's funny, but it was traumatizing for a child. And I also remember constantly feeling paranoid or as if I'm being watched because that's the only way my parents could think of to stop us from getting into trouble. They would tell us that God is always watching us and how disappointed he was going to be if we made mistakes. But I think the biggest way I felt I was traumatized throughout this experience was feeling like I was somehow responsible for the world. Or making sure the whole world knows about this God who cares about them so much that he basically gave them his only son, right? And the burden I felt at a very young age thinking, if I don't help everyone, they're going to hell. And for a long time, I had nightmares because of it. And I kept thinking that I was going to be left behind. And don't even get me started with those left behind messages or movies. They were just, they were a lot for, I'm sure, everybody who's watched or experienced them. But overall, that was my experience with religious trauma, or some of it at least.
1: We've, we've talked a little bit about your journey and, and where you've gotten to, but in the now, when you think about God, what do you think, if anything, uh, about God? Do you believe in God? How how has this whole journey kind of fed into that feeling?
2: I currently assimilate um, agnostic atheism, which basically believes that there could be a God. He could be real, but it's not something that I would personally believe in or have faith in. But I think what I currently believe is that if God is real and he is all loving and all the omnis, then the Bible is not an accurate representation of him. But if God is exactly who the Bible says he is, and all of those stories are true, then that's not a God that I would have faith in or respect. So that's where I guess my belief comes in when it comes to God.
1: And so with that, how would you say that you relate to people that you formerly shared a faith with? And so... Uh, you can talk about, you know, the relationships. I know you mentioned that you lost some friends along the way. You can talk about if those relationships have continued and in some minor capacity with other people, what they look like, et cetera. So how, how does that play into where you're at now?
2: Um, for the most part, like I mentioned earlier, and you've mentioned as well, the majority of friends I made through church and Bible study, I'm no longer friends with, mostly because... The glue holding the friendship together was sharing the same belief system. And currently, I have a few Christian friends who are comfortable with talking about deconstruction and challenging their belief system. But I would say that the only reason those friendships lasted were because Christianity or a belief in God was not a requirement or a determining factor for those friendships. But I definitely notice when. People walk on eggshells when it comes to this topic because they think that they can't talk about their faith with me or they would think that that would make me uncomfortable or something along those lines. But the entire premise of my deconstruction or my belief as an agnostic atheist is that we can all have um, the faith we have on the things that we do and it'd be true and and a very real experience for us. And it allows people to believe in whatever they want to believe, just as long as they don't expect you to believe in it as well. And that's basically my governing rule, is that just as my experience in deconstruction is very real to me and very personal, Christianity or having faith in the religion that people have faith in is something that's very real and personal to them. So having that mutual respect and space for each other is what has kept the relationships that I currently have going.
1: And uh, I believe it was the uh, British theologian John Donne who said that no man is an island, and when we could extrapolate that to no person is an island. So we are, we are very communal creatures. So I, you know, I imagine, especially growing up. You know, Christianity was a very central community for you growing up in Africa. And even as you came here, you identified that you were a member of an Ethiopian church to, and you continued that community. But now that you've, you've kind of stepped out of Christianity, where are you finding community and uh, how do you find support? And then if you could compare and contrast that with the community you had, you know, within the faith.
2: Of course. Currently, my community is what I call my family of choice. It's a group of people who have similar experiences or as I do or they're just overall supportive of my choices. They have been a safe space for me as I went through my deconstruction. Change was celebrated and encouraged among those friendships. I was never made to feel like I'm losing something when I change my opinions or when I accept a change in my life. Whereas in most of my Christian friendships, there was a lot of vague advice that mostly revolved around praying or spending time with god there wasn't really a lot of room for me to grieve especially when it comes to god himself and deconstructing and that process of grieving uh, what was essentially a loss and i found that my current friendships are very practical they acknowledge limitations they didn't blame or credit the divine i've never had to hear I'll pray for you as a solution to my problems, which I I do want to say the notion of I'll pray for you is something that I genuinely appreciate because um, that is something that people who say it hold dearly. That's what they have and they're offering what they have. And so it's something I genuinely appreciate. But oftentimes it's not the best solution to physical or human problems. All in all, the friends that I have now, They were very hands-on. I never had to think of losing these friendships by being myself, Um, whereas within uh, most of my Christian friendships, I felt like I had to be a certain way to fit in or to be accepted, or I had to reach a certain level of spirituality or expression of faith to sort of be compatible within that friendship. So that is the difference I see within Uh, my current community as compared to the previous friendships I had.
0: Are these relationships that are generally things that have developed since your deconstruction process, or are they relationships you are already in, but they're the ones that kind of stood the test of time?
2: Uh, Most of them were uh, friends I've had before I started deconstructing. Some of the friends I have were Christians who also deconstructed along with me, so we were sort of the support system for each other. But I've made a few friends after deconstructing who were also just genuinely good people who were open arms for me basically to kind of process everything that happened within my deconstruction journey
0: so is there is there anything else that you wish christians as a general block knew about the process of deconstruction
2: yes i love that question I would first like to destigmatize the word deconstruction. There's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it actually is or what happens within that process. Usually, deconstruction has nothing to do with deconstructing the Bible itself because a concept like deconstruction cannot be applied to the Bible. But mostly, it has everything to do with deconstructing what we were taught to believe about the Bible. So, when people criticize those who deconstruct, they they're really what they're really doing is defending what people taught them to believe about the bible and i think with deconstructing you get the freedom to view the bible for what it is and not have to think of a spiritual meaning it could have or trying to decipher decipher what was hyperbolic or what was supposed to be symbolic or even how you would have to defend certain contradictions within it by finding other verses that could potentially Explain what it means, and there are a few debates. Actually, I just read about this a couple days ago. That there were a few debates that some of the Bible was just passed down orally uh, within a span of 1500 years. I don't know if you guys ever played telephone, the telephone game, but a lot of information gets lost with with um, message being passed down. And this was, I think, before the era of Moses and how he wrote most of the Old Testament books or the Torah, and it's believed that most of that was just passed down orally. But overall, I wish Christians had more sympathy towards those who are deconstructing. As much as the faith is so real to Christians, the experience and the reasons for deconstructing that others have is also real, because two things can be true. And it doesn't help that a lot of Christians are trying to explain deconstruction since they wouldn't really be an expert in it. It's similar to the way that a lot of Christians demonize atheism, but really, I believe a majority of Christians have never even interacted with or had an understanding relationship with an atheist. So most of the information they have would be from assumptions and stereotypes and movies like Um, God's not dead, just the worst depiction of atheists, in my opinion. But overall, my advice would be to have an open and honest conversation with someone who's deconstructing. Uh, Just like you said at the beginning, I think it should be without wanting to convince them or make excuses or explain away what they have to say, but just to truly listen and be present. I think that would humanize the experience that a lot of people have with deconstructing
1: you you talked about how christians want to try to put a label on something and and really attack that and i find that interesting that in, in the modern ethos that we have it's it's very similar to what's going on with critical race theory that all of a sudden everybody on facebook has become an expert on on the topic of crt and christians in particular and, and you know Republicans, um, even more specifically, have kind of like manufactured this boogeyman and slapped the label of CRT on said boogeyman and then started attacking the whole topic of critical race theory as it were the boogeyman that they themselves fabricated. And, and I think it's interesting that you bring that up, a similar conversation with this topic, because, um, you know, we... We turn ourselves i say we, but but you know turn ourselves into this expert on this topic, even though we have no understanding what it is, and then we attack the very thing we fabricated as though it was the real thing, and that that really, really bugs me, and so um, I appreciate you bringing that up because that is something I have found frustrating as someone who would identify as a Christian and a follower of Jesus, even within our own church
0: It's a great point, Sam. One thing that has kind of stood out to me over this whole conversation, Yudia, is that there are element I feel like you have respect for Jesus as he's portrayed in the Bible. And you know, you're you almost a lot of what you're talking about is sort of, okay, how has the church failed to live up to that ideal, that loving ideal, that accepting ideal, etcetera? But you also mentioned earlier that, you know, the thing that really caused you to break with faith in general was that you felt like you couldn't respect the God of the Bible anymore. And a question I have for you is if you had the opportunity to have a conversation with the God that Sam and I believe in, what what would you say to to the God of the Bible, the one that you talked about not wanting to have faith in even?
2: Yeah, I would say in general, I have respect for a lot of people from the Bible, because they were truly interesting people who had interesting lives. And even though I do not consider myself a Christian or assimilate with the views of Christianity, there are so many things about the Bible that I could respect and that I could also apply to my current life as an atheist. But overall, if I were to ask God a question, I would ask him, why? There's so much that he could have prevented from happening, but I would assume he chose not to. All the way back to having the tree in the garden or creating the angels with the spirit of rebellion, if we can call it that. All of it could have been prevented and no one would have to experience loss or suffering. And throughout all of it, people were made out to be evil based on choices that they didn't even get to make be it the sin, the original sin, or how we are sinful since birth because of it. It's not really decisions that we got to make. So overall, I would ask him why. Why couldn't he have made different choices or done things differently? Or why couldn't he have created a utopian world where we would be the people that he wanted us to be? Because overall, personally, I don't believe that free will was the was the reason for this because there isn't free will if the consequences are already set out for you. It's something that you should find out. And one great example that I've heard a lot of people use is if someone was trying to rob you and they had a weapon pointed at you and they asked you, give me what you have or else I would hurt you. And you got to choose giving them what you had. That's not really a neutral choice. That was a choice that had consequences that you couldn't participate or look over. You essentially had to choose life, or I guess getting hurt. So uh, that was just a tangent for people who would usually use free will as the answer to the why question for God. But that's the question I would ask.
0: All right. Just to close things out, we've been disciplined about not necessarily addressing any of the excellent points or excellent questions that you've brought up yet, but do you have any questions for us that you'd like to hear our response to before we close things out?
2: Absolutely. I want to ask, in light of this conversation, what do you think about, or what was your take on deconstruction as Christians, but overall just essentially what have you learned from this conversation that you didn't know already about deconstruction?
1: I would say for me, one of the things, coming to faith at 21 and really having to think about everything I was taught uh, growing up in a, in a fundamental Baptist church, by and large, a lot of it I don't agree with anymore. Um, but we could get to the nuance uh, of that another day. It, it was it was difficult for me to really step aside and, and talk about things that you know I had been taught my entire life by a dude who stood in a pulpit that my parents told me like you can trust what he says. Uh, and I've I've come to a very different understanding of what Christianity really is and, and you know great people have, have walked with me alongside that and the local church has been very instrumental in that for me transforming my beliefs and so for me one of the things that i I take away from this conversation is is i can only imagine if i was to go through a similar process now of that what it would feel like and the friends that i would lose and things like that and so um i have a great bit of empathy of in this conversation because that legitimately sounds horrifying because I, i i think of you know the closest friends I have are the ones I've made and labored with in the faith, and so you know for you losing some of those friends just like that is a difficult thing um and obviously something that you had to weigh the cost and benefit of and, and really look at and so that process sucked and, and i'm and I'm sorry about that and I'm sorry about the people who didn't look like Jesus along the way, and said fake things, and and that sucks. And I, I, I hate to like chalk it up to that sucks, but like that that that's what fills this void. You know, it's not something that you can just like. I am going to pray for you, and and Taz and I have often joked on the podcast about how much we hate it when people are like, "Ah, I am going to pray for you," and that's their prayer. Um, so we we have talked about that extensively, and so I, I think I think this is a a topic that is one that I would hope the church can learn from its mistakes and really handle appropriately and, and have these nuanced conversations, which are, are not easy, admittedly, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be easy. Taz, what do you think?
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that stood out the most to me was also in that that area of relationships and how you said that you had friends where sharing a faith in Christ with them was requ- a requirement for the friendship, basically. And it's, you know, that's convicting to me because I, you know, I just really don't have close friendships with a lot of people who are non believers. And I'd like to think that that's not necessarily because I drive non believers away with my religiosity. I think it's, you know, I like to think that it's mostly just where I place myself and where I go to make my friends, but it's convicting because it's like, man, you know, if I did have close friends or friends that are closer than I am to you, even that went through that process, would I lose, would I lose them? Would I lose track of them? And I cannot with confidence answer in the negative on that question, just because it's, you know, something that's so important to me. And so just, Yeah, same thing with you, Sam. Like, If if I had to lose all my friends that I have in the faith, it would absolutely destroy me, I think. I don't know what I would do. And so once again, Yadidia, thank you so much for sharing all this, for helping to build up that empathy, and for proving... I think it was Matt Chandler wrong when he said people do it because it's sexy. Because it's... You know, maybe there's something that you can gain socially by broadening your horizon and entering a new community. But the thing that you lose is, is just so profound to who you are, even ex cultists that, you know, something that we can all agree that it was, it was good that you got out of out of the branch Davidians or whatever it was talk about how hard it was to leave those communities. Cause that w- their whole life was, was built around that.
2: Uh, yeah, I would say it was, I needed a process or a space to grieve those losses. And I don't think a lot of people understand the gravity of those losses, especially friends you grew up with, friends you've had for a long time, friends you confided in. Losing those people was really hard. But the biggest thing that people don't see or understand is um, losing a friendship you had with a divine creator. Like the friendship that I had with God was equally if not more devastating to lose that friendship it was just essentially like you said earlier it's having to get out of a space that you no longer belonged in or that you no longer felt comfortable or safe or understood and regardless of um choosing yourself or choosing um, the life that you choose it's still a friendship that you have to grieve and so I think I definitely agree it's not sexy at all um it's a very hard process, but at the end, it you come out of it in this space that's just peaceful and beautiful. At least that's the experience for me personally. I came out of it more understanding than I've ever been. I was more open to creating space for a lot of new friendships and new relationships and also being more empathetic and understanding even towards Christians Specifically, the Christians who had the views that I had to deconstruct from and building that empathy towards them was something I had to learn after deconstructing and being empathetic towards them and hoping that someday they could also find a space where they could unlearn or live in a society or even a church community that can, that really worked towards being better or looking more like Christ, if I could say.
0: Well, I sound like a broken record, but Yudidia, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad that as you were going through this, Dirkus and I were not people that you did ultimately lose. I know that there were some rough spots in there and some hurt feelings at times back when I was doing the, the debate and interrogate tactic. I just want you to know, and I, I say this because I, I trust you enough to, to hear this, that I, be, I believe that it is better to be where you are right now on the other side of a deconstruction than in the church in an unhealthy way or because of dishonest or whatever it means. That being said, you know, it is my desperate hope that at some point, the God that I believe in and that I know would find a way to reach out to you to answer your questions, and to regain that relationship that you grew up having, that reliance, that mutual love. that That's something that Dorcas and I pray for frequently. It's not something that I believe that I can convince you of with eloquence or argument or, or whatever it is. I think that's that's something only God can do. And so I'm going to I'm going to be patient for it and if it's something that I never see then I'm still glad to to count you as a friend and as someone that I can learn from and that hopefully we can continue to be part of each other's life for a long time going forward but once again we appreciate you so much for coming on perhaps one of these days we'll have a a part 2 of this conversation where we dive a little deeper into some of those issues and you know, if you're feeling up to it, maybe we can get back into the the debate ring. But for everyone out there, stay safe. Have a great week. We'll be with you next time discussing some of the most important issues that our world faces. But I hope that you can all go out with a little bit more empathy in your hearts and a little bit more understanding of what people who don't agree with you are experiencing and going through. Peace out. Um, a good friend of mine and my wife. A good friend of me and my wife.
1: Would it would it be my wife and I?
0: No, because you wouldn't say a good friend of I. That's the way that you know.